You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 85, covering Yesterday's Enterprise and The Offspring. Hello, friends. Here we are. We have returned. Boy, do we have a doozy. Yeah. Two doozies, in fact. This really made up for every shitty episode we've had to watch. It's not going to make up for Voyager, Matt. It's made up for every shitty episode we've had to watch for season three. That's true. That's, this rubs out all the, sh- all the greasy rebels we've seen so far. I'm pretty sure there's more greasy rebels to come, but... No, but it, it gets rid of the current grease rebels. When I, when I talk about season three and how great season three is, and people are like, really? You, you do an episode like um, The Price... Or like um, the, the, that one with the Rebels or the other one with the Rebels. They, really, there's your season three. Like, no, stupid. The episodes like this or yeah. like uh, The Enemy or like um, the, Defector. the Defector. Yeah. Or we still have um, ahead of us, we still have a really good Klingon episode. We still mm-hmm. have Sarek. Yep. And Best of Both Worlds. So that's what I'm talking about. This is the first time the show has gotten great. Yep. Doesn't mean it's a, a great full season, but... All I mean, none of them are great full seasons. No, 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 no. The show was always inconsistent, even at its best. But I mm-hmm. think there are more good to great episodes in this particular season than in any other single season. Yeah, I mean, it's not DS9. Come on. No. But, you know, in, in its defense, they don't have the ability to do serialized shows. Whereas DS9 was at its very best when you had ten good episodes in a row because ten episodes in a row just told one story. Yes. They didn't have to come up with an alien of the week One or something. One wonderful story. Yep. For now, though, we have something pretty goddamn great. Yep. And let's start with mine, which is yesterday's Enterprise. So the episode opens with Worf hanging out in 10 forward. Yes, it's that famous scene where Guinan gives him prune juice and he loves it. People forget that Trek was in the pocket of Big Prune well into <laughs> the mid-90s. Anyway, Guinan says something about Worf hooking up with a human woman, which gets recent guest Kim all flustered. Then he laughs his ass off. Not specifically at Kim, just the idea of a frail human woman not being able to handle someone so utterly gangsta. I mean, he's drinking prune juice, you guys. He's too hardcore for Earth women. This event, Worf not only smiling but actually laughing, is enough to fracture reality itself, and suddenly he disappears in a puff of logic. Now we're in a new reality where everyone's collar is really high, there's no Counselor Troy or Worf, and Tasha Yar is still alive. Not only that, but she has good hair. This is indeed a disturbing universe. Oh, and also the Enterprise C is here. The Enterprise C is one of the ships that happened between Kirk and Picard, and it was captained by a pretty badass lady called Rachel Garrett, who for my money is everything I wanted Janeway to be when Voyager started. Eventually the crew works out, by which I mean Guinan works this out using her magic powers of being able to remember alternate timelines, that the Enterprise C's arrival has irrevocably changed the natural course of history. They were supposed to die defending a Klingon outpost from Romulans, and the fact that they popped out through a convenient spatial anomaly before that could happen means 25 years of brutal war with the Klingons instead of the mostly peace that the two population should be enjoying. Picard agonizes over having to tell a captain of not just any starship, but a fucking starship Enterprise that she has to take her ship back into certain doom to make things right, based entirely on the intuition of his bartender. So yeah, maybe not the easiest thing he's ever had to do. Meanwhile, Tasha manages not to suck, flirting with Castile, one of the only surviving senior officers aboard the Enterprise C, and eventually learning from Guinan that she died a pointless death in a horrible episode. She asks Picard if she can transfer to the Enterprise C as it drifts back toward the aforementioned certain death, so that she can maybe die from something cooler than fucking Armis this time, (laughs) and he agrees. 
A bunch of alternate Enterprise-D dudes die defending the Enterprise-C from advancing Klingons, but they make it through the anomaly in time so everything goes back to normal. Because look, there's Troy. Oh man, that universe wasn't so bad. Is it too late to switch back? It was a pretty sweet universe. Yeah, it was. I mean, I missed Worf, but I can't say... I didn't even notice Troy wasn't there. They didn't have any sly references to, like, if only we had a counselor. She just wasn't there. Yeah, no, they, uh... One of the things this episode does really well is, uh... Like, making the... Like, it takes you into this alternate alternate enterprise, but it doesn't, like, lead you by the nose. No, there's this effect where you see Picard, and then there's a sort of swirly effect, and then you see Picard, but he looks a little different in the face, and he's wearing a slightly different uniform, the lighting's changed, and that's it. That's all you get for a while. Yeah. You don't, like, and what the fuck I actually read they didn't even want to do the swirly, the swirly right. thing alert. See, I like that. There's a little, there's a little, um, music cue, just a quick little music cue. Mm-hmm. Like, something just happened, and you don't know what. And if you weren't really paying attention, you wouldn't know what the fuck was going on, because this wasn't a standard thing back then. No. Like on TV, to just tune in one week and everything's different. Like, this is new. And plus, like, this, you would also have to be, have to have seen more that, like, this couldn't be your first episode. Oh, no. You'd be totally lost. You'd be like, who mm-hmm. the fuck is that chick on the bridge? Yep. And, uh, it, it was cool seeing her back, actually, I gotta say. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, I really definitely enjoyed a shock. Tosh in this. <coughs> I also like how they didn't, the, the shock wasn't, look, Tasha's back. We're still in the teaser when you see her. Yep. The shock is, the, you know, NCC 1701C, USS Enterprise. Dun, yep. dun, dun. Much bigger deal than Tasha. Yep. Sorry, Tasha. This is the only time we'll see the Enterprise C, unfortunately. Like, And we'll only see the Enterprise B once as well. Yep. Which, again, unfortunate, because there's this whole history and everything. But mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Captain Garrett. You're the one nobody writes any books about. Is that true? I, I noticed you mentioned that in your notes. Is that really I, true? I think there was one. Because I know there's a whole series of books called The Lost... What is it? The Lost Era? The Lost Era, yeah. And they... Uh, they Where they talk uh, about the time between Kirk and Picard with, yeah. like, the Cardassian War and, like, all that stuff. Uh, I think most of them are about the are about the, the B with... Uh, is it Captain April? Uh, no. Harriman. Um, Harriman. Harriman, yeah. April is semi-canonical. He's not officially canon unless you count the animated series. He happened before Pike. Right. Which there may also be books about him, I don't know. I'm sure there is. In the Star Trek Encyclopedia, the picture of uh, Captain April is actually a picture of Gene photoshopped into a Starfleet uniform. Mm. Ah, that's fine. <laughs> if he never appeared on screen and he just gets a still in the book, you know, for creating <laughs> Star Trek, fine. You get to be the first Enterprise captain. Fine. So let me Gene. go into my... Uh, Gene! Let me go into my good thing, bad thing. Uh, fucking fuck, this is an amazing episode. It is such a tired premise now, because they've done a million history changed, and everything's different, and, you know, like, it's all dark, and then everything went completely back to normal. Um, but right now, it's amazing. It's it's still kind of fresh. It's not the way they did the Mirror Universe. It's, it's different enough, and it's just like, wow, this is, wow. And what's great is that this story could have worked just as well without bringing Tasha back. Like, it it's... They make it about her, mm-hmm. but it could just as easily be about the sacrifice of the Enterprise C yep. and how contrasting the warlike nature of this alternate universe with the way the Enterprise really is. But bringing the extra layer of Tasha in gives it something more personal and it gives her a good death. Let's assume for now that she's dead mm-hmm. and it gives her a, a proper death that isn't, fucking, like I said, not fucking Armas. It's not being thrown at a rock. Right. And you know, giving her a meaningful death was just icing on an already delicious cake. Yeah. Um, and my bad thing, well, it would have been a good death for Tasha if she'd actually died there instead of the ridiculous convoluted bullshit they come up with. But that's not this episode's fault. 
We we will get to that soon yeah, enough. Yeah, that'll be a, the bad thing of a very specific episode around the way. Yeah. Um, so instead, I'm going to say that while their shiny belts kind of evoked the mirror universe, they were pretty terrible looking. Yeah, ugly belts. That's all I got. I like their ugly belts. They were ugly. I, they didn't work. The thing is, I no. like, like I said, I like that they made you think of the mirror universe. Like, oh yeah, they're evil here. Mm-hmm. And they weren't evil, but you know. I mean, it was that or, put, or that was that or let them carry a dagger around. Right. Also, someone had rented out the agonizer booth because Admiral Chekhov had come for a visit. <laughs> um, and we, and we all thing- move up in rank. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Um, the thing I love about this one with uh, with Tasha <coughs> is that, like, like you know, like you said, they didn't need her, but having her there is this great indicator that, like, it's the, really the very first wrong. indicator you get that something's off. Right. Because she just sort of shows up behind Picard like she's always been there. Yep. And Worf's gone, and the bridge is different, and she's there. And you're like, mm-hmm. um, what? Did everyone else just see that? Because, um, what? Yeah. It's just, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> no, and like I say, it... it would have been a fine episode without it, and apparently mm-hmm. it started out as two different similar scripts that they ended up putting together. And both of us had the same reaction when we saw the opening credits. God, four writers plus based on a spec script by this should be terrible. Yeah, usually a good indicator of that episode is how many writers' names are jammed in there. I, that's not always the case with Star Trek. I know it's supposed to be for most other shows, but mm-hmm. for Star Trek, I've noticed there's some really good episodes that have a bunch of cooks in the soup. Yeah. I don't know, maybe they did it like like comedies do now, where they all sort of combine, you know, like there's a writer's room that sort of bashes yeah. out a script together. I don't know. Well, you were saying how, uh, like, this was originally, what, two scripts? Yeah, that's what Memory Alpha says. They said they had two very similar stories, and one of them had Tasha Yar, and I think one of them didn't. Mm. And they decided that they would work better together, sort of yeah. thing. So and they there was, combined there was a- them. There was a whole thing about, uh, I guess, the, and I'm remembering this, I don't have Memory Alpha in front of me, and obviously you guys can go check it out if you like, but I'm pretty sure it had something to do with the Guardian of Forever and the killing of Surak, the uh, the, the founder of um, Vulcan's philosophy. Oh, yeah. And I think Sarek ended up going back and replacing him, and I'm glad they didn't do that, because I don't like the going back and replacing him thing. No. But something that could have been Something that'll come up in DS9. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't like it there either. Yeah. But I, I do like the idea of... Going back and and taking out the the influence on Vulcan society that makes them peaceful, yeah. And what that would have led to was them and the Romulans being basically the same, mm-hmm. and Which that could have been a cool thing. Would have been a very cool idea for an episode. Yeah, but I love what we got, so that's okay. Uh, what about you? Good thing, bad thing. Uh, okay, so my good thing. Uh, it's such a great episode. It's, yep. There's just so much going on. But I, I'm good. like I said, I'm going to go with the uh, the change design of the new Enterprise. Yes. Like I said, it's never mentioned that Troy and Worf were both missing, but of course they wouldn't be there. Like See, it makes you, no sense. You have to note. I mean, you you can't not notice that Worf is gone because he's talking to Picard, and then suddenly it's Tasha. Yeah. But they don't say that Troy's gone. Like I say, you just have to figure that out. Like sometimes she's just not in an episode, but mm-hmm. it takes you a minute to think, and they don't lead you by the nose, and you have to think. Why isn't Troy there? Yeah, but you know, I mean, like the warship's got no need of a therapist, and of course, Troy can't do anything else. Well, that's what I mean. But they they make you figure that out for yourself. Yeah, which is nice. They don't they don't whack you over the head with it. I also like how busy this ship is. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we used to talk about on t- on uh, original series was like how busy the ship could. Oh, there's always guys scrambling around in the background, yeah, yeah. running to whatever, and yeah. Um, there's no families, but we're, we're at a, there's a war on, you might have heard about, and yeah. everyone's on their way somewhere. Yep. Uh, Bridge is just absolutely crawling with extras. 
Yeah, there's they really went all out with the budget. Plus, there's some good space fight stuff, too. Like, this must have cost a lot of money. Oh, yeah. And our next <laughs> episode, which is also a great episode, was pretty much a bottle show, and I think they must have probably made up some of the costs there. Cause, uh, yeah. <laughs> they must there, have spent a lot on this. There, There's a shot where uh, Picard gets out of his chair, and someone walks behind him, <laughs> like, between him and the chair. Mm-hmm. He's like, you idiot, that's like getting between a mother bear and her cubs. <laughs> He's going to claw your head off and then eat salmon. <laughs> Well, now I'm just thinking of Captain Bear Card, and that's a whole other thing. <laughs> that's a much different alternate universe, Matt. <laughs> oh, now, now we're completely off the rails. <laughs> uh, all right. And my bad thing is, uh, the weakest part of this episode is Guinan just being able to know that something is wrong with the universe. Yeah. But, like, this episode is so good that, that, they, can, that uh, they can get away with it with a throwaway line about how our species is attuned to whatever. Well, the thing is, the story needs someone to be aware of it. Otherwise, Picard never has the motivation to try to change it. How I mean, is he going to know? Like, I understand why why it's there for the plot. It just doesn't make any sense. No, you're right. And actually, the, the book that I go on and on about, The Buried Age, actually mm-hmm. offers an explanation that because she's been in the Nexus, that gives her this awareness uh, sort of outside time, and I like that. Yeah, that's, that that sounds as good as anything. Sure. And, I, like, they cover it fine. Data's like, oh, maybe her species or something. And that that's all you need. Yeah. No, the thing is, okay, yeah, I, I mean, I like Guinan a lot, and I'm mm-hmm. glad this time through you thought you didn't, and, and you're discovering, no, she's pretty cool. Yeah. Sometimes they do give her a bit of a deus ex machina where she is the one who knows everything and the one who can solve everyone's problems a little too neatly, and this may be one of those cases, I'll give you that. Mm. But again, the story needed someone to nudge Picard and tell him things were wrong, and he needed to have those conversations. Like, he needed, there's a great discussion where she's telling him something's wrong, and they're talking, and she's like, there should be families aboard. And Picard goes, families? Yeah. Like, we already know what his attitude is in the, in the you know, not war-torn universe. But having been fighting for 20-some years. Don't be disgusting. He's like, what? I don't want children running around here. No. What if they had a Captain Picard day? <laughs> uh. I, I would have liked, and I'm sure this is a budget thing, I would have loved if they could have changed the actual design of the ship. That would have been really cool. If the Enterprise D of this universe had had more visible weapons mm-hmm. or just looked less friendly and more imposing. Yeah, I actually, I I was, uh, like, not paying attention when the the C showed up, and I actually mm-hmm. thought that was the D. Ah. And they had, like, changed it. Because it, it looks battle damage, too. Yeah. it did. Well, it was, you know, it was in a fight it, with Romulans when it left. Yes. So, yeah. Just like He-Man's chest. Yes. It was severely dented. They, um, I really like the look of the sea. I wish we'd gotten a better look at it. Mm-hmm. it. It was a nice sort of evolutionary middle step between the uh, the the Kirk ship and and the Galaxy class D. Yeah, like it was a nice. Oh, well, that's what it looked like in between. Like I say, I wish we'd known more about Garrett. She seemed pretty cool. She seemed kind of badass. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> she didn't initially like the idea that they had to go back, but she accepted it. She's like, you know what? You're right. This is the right thing to do. I am a captain of the fucking Enterprise, and this is what we do. And she, I, in in her ten minutes of screen time, totally held her own with Picard and Kirk, and, like, she belongs there. Oh, absolutely. And I buy her as not only a captain, but a captain of the fucking Enterprise, which is a really big deal. Yeah. And I wish we'd see more of her in a flashback or other alternate reality or something. something. Yeah. Yeah. Even a book. Yeah. No, she was she was just great. I, I think it's interesting just to, to, like, Trek continuity or whatever that, uh... According to this episode, there was like 20 years where Starfleet just didn't have an Enterprise. Really? It was theoretically destroyed 22 years oh, ago. Oh, that's true. The D, it was... Fr- was Yeah. Yeah. Had only launched three years so before just, the episode. You're absolutely right. Yeah. 
Wow, that is strange. Huh. No, I, I hadn't thought of that. That might have it might have made more sense to make it the B that way, but eh, that's okay. Yeah, well, I mean, at this point, like the Enterprise is supposed to be a very like it's a very important ship to Starfleet. Sure. Yeah, it's a symbol. And I'm, I'm, su- I'm surprised that they just decided to do without it for all this time, and then you know make it the flagship. Yeah. No, I I really liked the 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 thing is they could have they really could have turned this like lengthened it a little to a movie maybe and made the other ship I don't know that the actual cool. Enterprise like the Enterprise A or something. I, I, and that would have been really cool in a different way, but I think we know what the Enterprise means. We've never met these people, yeah. but because it's called the Enterprise, there's automatically this sense of we really respect it and we really know that these guys must be the best and they got to live up to the same expectations that we've had for both of these, you know, sets of people we've been watching. And I like that. I like that they sort of come out mm-hmm. automatically with our respect yeah. and they don't they don't squander that. You know what I mean? Like, whereas the show Enterprise, uh, I, I'm not going to, again, I'm not, I'm going to start reserving judgment until we get there, but I'm going to say from the beginning did not Mm -hmm. immediately have my respect. It it would have to earn it. Whereas this, you know, the Enterprise C, I just accept, yep, these guys must be great. And they were, and we didn't really get to meet the crew. Unfortunately, most of them were dead. We got to meet Castile and he was pretty cool, but, uh, that was it. Who I kept wanting to call Bastille. (laughs) He was, I looked him up. He's been in a million things. Most recently, um... Last time you came to visit, <clears throat> we discovered that you hadn't seen the Iron Giant, and I could not stand idly by and know someone who hadn't seen the Iron Giant, so I showed it to you. Yes, and rightly so. He played the government guy, Jet Van. Oh, of course he did. And he's got he's got that kind of voice when he uses it like this, but he, hey he wasn't using it like that. <laughs> hey there, kid. Yeah. You seen a big robot around here? That's him. But he's I been in a, the future. He's been in a billion other things as well, and I I know, I know Brian Lynch is going to Twitter seven or eight roles at me as soon as he hears this episode. So uh, I'll look forward to that. <laughs> Walking IMDb, Brian Lynch. Walking IMDb. <laughs> um, there were a lot of little subtle things on the Enterprise, like the the changed Enterprise. I loved that Wesley was just in a Starfleet uniform. He wasn't a cadet. He was a full guy. Yep. First time you see I- him in one. I like the idea of him either like being rushed through the uh, like rushed through mm-hmm. Starfleet, or, or so many guys him- died under him that he had to be promoted. Yeah, exactly. There's also I didn't notice like I'd seen this episode a bunch because it's one of those okay I feel like watching TNG I'm gonna watch one of the classics yeah I'm gonna watch this or Best of Both Worlds or Sarek or you know one of the good ones and I would pop in this one I'd seen this probably ten times and I'd never noticed until now I don't know why it just escaped me maybe it's because we're watching them in order. That Riker and Picard are not friends in this universe, and it really underscores how much they are friends in the normal universe. Yeah. They are very stiff and formal and almost adversarial. Everything Riker suggests, Picard says no. And <laughs> he's, he's the warp. Yeah, he's the warp, exactly. But also, he calls him commander. He doesn't call mm-hmm. him uh, uh, number one. He doesn't call him nails. Like, no familiarity there at all. <laughs> no, no bill. <laughs> Just commander. Commander. It's it's an interesting detail, and I like it because Riker's always sort of like glaring at the captain, like, "Ugh, what? No, I gotta do I what feel, you say, but I don't like it." My theory on that is that regular se- is that there's no more regular sex with Troy. That could be, <laughs> or alternately, regular sex with Worf. I guess. <laughs> well, who are we to judge? That's right. No one. That's who. <laughs> Uh, the the whole ethical dilemma of it was very, I thought, very Ron Moore, and I don't know if he specifically contributed that part of it, but it still felt very, the sort of things they went through on Deep Space Nine and then on Battlestar Galactica, 
where several hundred people have to sacrifice their lives for the greater good. It's it, there's no winning exactly. No, there is an obvious better choice, but it's all horrible. Yeah, and that felt very Ron Moore to me. Again, he might not have written that. Well, and it's also a very classic Trek idea. I don't think that it is. I think it became one, but I think it kind of started here. Really? Needs of the many? I suppose that's true. But that was <laughs> kind, about, of the, kind of a big deal in one or two of those movies. That was about one person sacrificing themselves for many people. I know, but this it's was still about a... t- like an entire ship giving themselves up on the whim of a bartender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's a little different. I can't help thinking Quark would not get quite the same reaction. Yeah, that's probably true. And that makes me sad. <laughs> Um, this was the first appearance of the movie-era uniforms on Next Gen, mm-hmm. which, if you're watching this in, in real time, in, in back in 89 or 90 or whenever this season aired, 90, 91, something like that, and you suddenly, you're watching Next Gen, it's this whole different world where they're trying to establish that they're not really like the original series, and then you see the uniforms that Captain Kirk's wearing in the movies now, you must have just lost your shit. Yeah. No, this is... Nice uh, fanboy, like, oh, look at that, Yay! <laughs> Uh, I might be wrong, but this is, this is like our most like our like our most obvious tie into the original series since Naked Now. Yeah, until uh, Sarek, which happens in yeah. a few more episodes. This is yeah, and and again, you get hints of what happened between Kirk and Picard. Mm. And I like the idea that the piece with the client. Well, I mean, the real reason is they hadn't written Star Trek Six yet. They right. might have been working on the script, but it wasn't done yet. But I like the idea that Peace with the Klingons wasn't one event. Yeah. There were several things that happened along the way. They might have started at, at Kittimer with Star Trek VI, but it gradually, you know, the big thing was the Enterprise C sacrificing itself yeah. in, to save a, a Klingon outpost from Romulans. And of course, like it wouldn't be, you know. Yeah. You don't just you don't just hook up with your with your greatest enemies ever. Yeah, you don't just shake hands once and everything's great. You it's yeah, a gradual process. Now. Right. <laughs> you and us, right, Galron? <laughs> Glory to you and your house. Oh, God, you are intense. Look at your eyes. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Can you blink? No. He's vibrating through the hull of the ship. (laughs) There were a lot of little details, though, um, speaking of the the, uh, callbacks to the original series. Did you notice the doors were different? I did not notice the The alternate Enterprise D uh, had the doors. I don't know why they did this. It would have made sense on the C, but on the D, the doors had the old school, like, that sound. Like, it was, it was neat. I don't know why they did it. It was just an, another sort of trigger that things are different, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it was, I, I liked it. I liked, uh, I liked that, uh, Picard's throne, or throne. Throne. Picard's <laughs> chair is on, like, a dais now. Yeah, the, the whole, um, layout of, of the bridge was completely different, and everyone's sort of more crammed in. <laughs> the lights are all out. Yeah. I like that. Apparently when you're going to war, it's fucking dark. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, that's an easy visual way to say things are bad oh, now. Oh, yeah. But, you know. So, really, we, we've talked around it, but really, we should talk about Tasha. Yeah. That was the main thing in this episode, and that's the main thing we haven't really discussed yet. I liked her. I, oh, yeah. I, I, have, I have maintained from day one that if Denise Crosby had not been a big quitter, that Tasha would have been a decent character, and the show would have had one strong female in the cast. Yeah. And well, she until we get to Ensign Rowe, we don't have any. I love, uh, I, like, I love her taking this dude aside and, uh, <clears throat> like, giving him tactics lessons for when he goes back to fight. Yeah, here's uh, here's uh, what we've learned from 20 years of fighting Klingons. I'm going to give you an unfair advantage, mm-hmm. which is awesome. And I, I like, I mean, she carried, like, the emotion of it well. I liked their relationship. Like, they sort of gradually fell for each other, but it was never like, she didn't want to go back to be with him. She wanted to go yeah. back for a good death. 
Yes. And in a weaker hand, they could have written her to be a girly girl. To say, I want to go be with the man I love. That's not what it was about. No, that would have been like a really easy, yeah. like... Because they uh, were falling for each other this. and they kissed at one point. Yeah. But it was never about that. It was, we're, we have work to do. We're in a war. The most we're ever going to do is this one kiss because mm -hmm. we're too busy to be in love. Yeah. And I like that. But at the same time, they gave her, they gave her more in this 45 minutes than they gave her for the entirety of season one. Yeah. And again, giving her a proper death. And mm -hmm. let's just for now, because that's the information we're given, assume that she dies here. I wish she yeah. had. But this is so much better. It means something. It's a big deal. And it's it's a proper send-off for her if, if this had just been the end of her. Yeah. Plus, no, she got I, her, I, she got I, I like that. I like that Ron Moore's whole thing was just like, can we give her, like, if we're going to do this, can we not get, like, can we undo her shitty, shitty death? Right. And they basically say that. I mean, I said yeah. that in my summary, but they all but say, man, that was a terrible episode. Yeah. They say meaningless death. Same difference. Mm -hmm. Terrible well, episode. Well, Guinan flat out says it at one point. Yeah. <laughs> it was a stupid, meaningless death. Yep. yep it sure was. <laughs> but I, I just, I really enjoy that quite a lot. Like, I yeah. like, I like her. And I, like I said, I think if she'd stuck around when, until the writing got good, here is a good indication that she would have been a good addition to that cast. Mm -hmm. She was up to the acting and, uh, they could, they could write her pretty well and they fixed her hair. Yeah. And just, yeah, it was, it was better. It was, it was pretty good. And you know what? I also liked, uh, Bastille. Yeah. I like, uh, I really dug him. Um, he does like, uh, when, uh, when Captain Garrett dies. Uh, he just flat out takes command, and he's fucking awesome. Yeah, and the thing is, when they show up, he was the most junior officer to begin with. He's just a yeah. lieutenant. He's down, like, where Worf was in season one. Mm -hmm. No, he's he's where Worf is now, I'm sorry. Worf is a junior grade in season one. Yeah. But still, way down the rung, and he was the, the most senior officer that was left. Yes. So it would be, you know, it, it would be... <laughs> Line like, of succession means, though, that it was either him or the ship's dog. Well, right. And the, the ship's dog, while still alive, was not in very good shape, so... Uh, <laughs> It's actually still Archer's Beagle. <laughs> Passed from Enterprise to Enterprise. Kirk, just a very old dog. Yeah, Kirk just left it in uh, in sick bay. Bones hated it, but uh, <laughs> never saw it. Damn it! Get that dog out of here. Get that get that damn dog out of here. <laughs> I liked I like near the end where they're fighting the Klingon ship, and we see guys die. I, I I was reading that they wanted to kill off more guys, and they just didn't have the budget. Mm -hmm. Um, but you get to see Riker with a really gruesome death, which is great. Like blood yep. dripping off his head. And it was, it was a nice way to use that, that all the excuse of an alternate timeline to do things that you couldn't normally do, which I liked. I actually, I would have loved if this had ended like right before the, uh, the, the sea goes back in time, mm -hmm. uh, uh, with the destruction of the enterprise. Yeah. That would have been cool. And then we, we switch over. I don't think over. we'd seen that at this point. No, we haven't yet. That becomes a cliche. The Enterprise blows up every other week yeah. after, like, season five or six. Yeah. But, yeah, for now. It would have been a great... Because, I mean, that was basically where they were headed. Yep. Like, uh, the Enterprise is just being destroyed by Klingons. You no, know, there were three Klingon ships, and the, the Enterprise-D was doing its best to, to stall for time for the sea to go through the, the wormhole thing. And, yeah, three ships were too much. Yeah. And it was outgunned. So, yeah. It and you want to cool. talk about badass Picard moments? Oh, Holy shit. fuck. Well, don't uh, don't don't spoil my quote. I don't think this is your quote. Okay. Um, but like his last words before the ship gets destroyed are fucking hardcore. That's actually my that's actually my quote. Oh, okay. Well, you can cut all this out. <laughs> but there's a there's a bit where um where the Klingons come over the thing and they say uh, surrender and prepare to be boarded, 
and he just goes, "That'll be the day." And that it, that's what I'm talking okay. about. And it's it's not a great line, but the way you know, as always, Patrick Stewart takes a line that's okay, and uh, <laughs> that'll be the day to rhyme with "Go fuck yourself." Yeah, like yeah, not on my watch. And yeah, it just oh man, we've talked about this over and over again about how Picard gets so many badass moments, and he gets one a week. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, again, I feel like they knew Best of Both Worlds was coming, and they really wanted season three to be the season where you love him, where you really get attached to him, because then you're faced with the possibility that he might be going away forever. Yeah. Because every week, it must be on purpose. It mu- they must have really tried to man him up and make him not look like the cheese-eating surrender monkey that he was in the pilot. Yeah. No, I And I they've fucking, done a great job it, of that. It's it's stuff like this that makes you absolutely love Picard. Between this where he's being a badass in in a physical violent situation and the next episode where he's being a, a badass on more ethical like yep. diplomatic arguing arguing terms. He's he's just he's ah, I love him. Ah. Yeah. Oh. So great. Let's let's go into my quote because this was the other thing that he says near the end that I just I ah. Oh. Well, here. Attention all hands. As you know, we could outrun the Klingon vessels, but we must protect the Enterprise C until she enters the temporal rift. And we must succeed. Let's make sure history never forgets the name Enterprise. Every time I hear that, every single time, fucking goosebumps. Oh, it's so awesome. It's, it's one of those things where it's like we, between the original series and now this show getting good. We are so conditioned to think the Enterprise equals excellence mm-hmm. that that line just really works, and it would not have worked in season one. Be like, yeah, the real Enterprise, yeah, not this one. But Good now it's like, that, no, we've guys. seen a bunch of cool ships called Enterprise, and they're all great. Yeah. All right. Anything further before we move on to the other um, fantastic episode this week? No, I think that's it. All right. So on to the Offspring. Uh, having just arrived from Robotics Con 2000, whenever Star Trek is set, Dan is working on a mm-hmm. secret project that he won't tell anyone about. Not even Wesley! Turns out he's been building himself a little android buddy, a weird-lipped, squinty-eyed, genitalist frog monster whom he calls Lol. Later, he and Troy redesign Lol so that she has genitals and a rather fetching haircut. Most of the rest of the episode is de- devoted to Data teaching Lol how to be human and the crew watching her look. She goes to school, she gets a job tending a bar, she experiments with pot. Basically the same experiences as your average college has to take her away. Apparently the Starfleet and- Android Hating Society is still open for business, even after its president, Bruce Maddox, stepped down last year, and they want to cart lol off to the Daystrom Institute, an organization well-known for its experience in creating sane, rational, sentient computers. Data, like his hero Thomas Jane, just wants his kids back and attempts to convince the Admiral otherwise. Unfortunately, Admiral Jerkass is aptly named and is having... Uh, the development of emotions sets off a chain reaction that eventually kills her, despite Data and, Admiral, and the Admiral's best efforts, and I cry basically everywhere. Yeah, we almost always watch these episodes together before we, we um, go into the show, and we both watched these recently. I'm like, you know what? It's, it's soon enough. Let's just discuss a little and go right into this. And the real reason is because I didn't want to cry in front of you. <laughs> this episode, I swear to God, every time. It's just great. Like, it's... Yeah, you know what? I'll just go into my good thing. Yeah, do that. Okay, so there's a rather long sequence during this episode where the only thing that's really happening is the development of Lala's character. Mm-hmm. Now, you might think that this would be a lot of dead space, but it's really not. And it makes Lala's death at the end completely dev- devastating. Well, that's the thing. I have a note here that there is, like, 
they often feel like in an episode like this, there has to be an additional danger of Romulans attacking or something. Yeah. They didn't do that. The only conflict here is the Admiral wanting to take Data's daughter, and that is it. And I was really impressed that they did that. Yeah. Because it's so rare that they do that. They're so worried that we're if we don't see something explode, we're, they're going to lose our interest, and that was not the case. Yeah, no, uh, like, th- this episode, a huge chunk of it is just, like, her and Data, like, her learning to be yeah. more human or whatever. There's gr- just all these great, like, I love when she gets, when she gets a job at the, at the bar with Guinan. Oh, yeah. No, that, that is beautiful. But what I love is that, and that's why I've been going on and on and on about these, this particular pairing of episodes, because not only is this two of the best episodes Next Gen ever did right in a row, but it's also two entirely different kinds of episodes. The last one was sort of a mindfuck fanboy, oh my God, this is incredible time travel enterprise stuff. And this is a total character piece. This mm-hmm. is... This is, let's see Data deal with something quintessentially human and be very sad. Yes. And that was awesome. Mm-hmm. He and has no emotions, and that makes him sad. Yes. Uh, okay, so this isn't really a bad thing, but it bugged me a lot during the episodes. This is probably as good a time as any to bring it up. Can Starfleet just take anything it finds interesting? Yeah, that was a big part of it. I mean, ignoring the fact that Lal is a sentient life form, form something that we proved back during Measure of Man, mm-hmm. Data definitely is a sentient life form. Like, if, if you want to get down to technical issues, uh, Data basically owns Lal. Like, mm-hmm. if she's a machine, like, you know, she is a machine that can be taken by Starfleet. That basically means they're stealing her from Data, if nothing else. Yep. Uh, there's something wrong there. No, I, I agree, and all the arguments he had didn't really sell, like, didn't, weren't really working for me. And then, toward the end, he said, okay, here's the real reason. You guys are unique, and having you both in the same place on a thing that could blow up at any moment is a bad idea. That I actually bought. Yeah, but, like, the thing is, his other thing was he's like, I don't want data. Yeah. I just I, I just No, want he Lyle. doesn't want them in the same place. That's yeah. what I mean. If you, It's like when the president of the United States gives a speech, he and his cabinet, uh, like, there can't be everyone all in the same place, because if that place blows up, we have no government. Mm. There has to be one guy somewhere else. Well, then Archer's dog takes over again. Right, exactly. <laughs> and nobody wants that. <laughs> that is an old dog. That's why we didn't have an Enterprise for 20 years, because the dog was in charge. <laughs> hey, boy, you want to create an Enterprise? Huh? 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 Uh, his tail's not wagging. I guess that mm, means no. Son of a bitch. Damn All it. right, fine. Make me two more Excaliburs. <laughs> and an Excelsior. <laughs> True believer. Um... No, I, I think, uh, like, they don't want them to be in the same place at the same time because then that's it. There's no more Soon-type androids. That they're aware of. Well, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. We still got the evil one and the stupid one. <laughs> well, they think the evil one's dead. That's true. They thought that he, they killed him in the, uh, the the Crystalline Entity episode. Turns out that they had just been making sweet, sweet love. <laughs> he's He's been out there humping the thing for two years. Yep. Which, Maybe, you know, yeah, he's going to hey. be stranded in space. Except the problem is, you know, we've established this. Lore doesn't have the penis. That's Data. That's true. Lore got the emotions. Data got the penis. There's a lot of space dry humping. Yeah. Very frustrated dry oh, humping. <laughs> no wonder he's so mad. Yeah, and he's got the emotions to be able to... Oh, man, that's just a double <laughs> whammy right there. So my good thing, I'm mad enough to admit this, the scene where Admiral Haftel talks about Data's hands moving so fast that he can't save Lal makes me tear up every time I see it. There, I mean, he's... The thing is, I, I keep... Whenever I remember this episode, I remember the chick who played Lal 
being the one to, to evoke the emotional response. It's this admiral who's being this hard-ass this whole time. And then he comes out and he has this great monologue. Yep. His hands were moving so fast I couldn't even see them. And as he repaired one thing, another one collapsed. And it was it was really the admiral who gives the speech that did, where I just totally lose it. Mm-hmm. And I can think of maybe only one or two other Trek episodes across all the series that have such a raw emotional impact for me. I mean, there's times where I get excited. There's times where I get sad. But really proper actual tears this may be one of the only ones yeah it's just it's that good and th- here's a character that she dies nine tenths of the way through the episode so 40 minutes through we have known her for 40 minutes and we're so attached that that's why the episode works so well the, just the that... chick they got to play her was amazing oh god she was so awesome because she does the, she she is not doing a brent spiner impression which is the big thing yep she's got this weird sort of spazzy I'm reacting to stuff for the first time and I don't know what it is kind of way. Like, her miming is great, her weird mm-hmm. sort of awkward movement. But also, the way she speaks is very, what is going on? Like, I, I made it sound like Shatner. It actually sounds good. But <laughs> Don't be fooled. It's actually a very good a- It's actually very good acting. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but uh, she has a way about her where, and later we find out that she feels emotions. It's she feels overwhelmed. There's mm-hmm. so much sensory input that she doesn't know how to handle it all. Yeah, and she's got this great sort of innocent look where she's trying to deal with everything that she's seeing, but it's all just a bit too much for her. And it's really, really good acting. Mm-hmm. And the writing's fantastic too. Yes, it is. Um, it's oh god, it's such a good episode. My bad thing, actually, I have I I had one here because I was struggling. Um, there were no belts to save me here, first of all. The score kind of sucked again. I mean, there were a lot of really genuinely powerful emotional moments that were almost completely ruined by the music telling us how to feel. The writing and the acting in this episode did not need any help. No. And there were times where the music would swell up, and I'm like, I'm already sad. Shut up. It's, it's fine. No, yeah. you're sad. Here's a I know flute. I am. Shut up. <laughs> Thank you, episode. The the other thing, I mean, that's kind of a cop-out, because I've called out the music a hundred million times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got another one that I just thought of, which is, when Lal feels emotions for the first time, Troy can sense that. That makes no sense to me. Did she sense that? Like, I, yes. I, I honestly... She walked into Troy's um, quarters and she says, Troy, I'm scared. And Troy looks at her and she gets that look that she gets where she's about to cry or something. And she says, you are scared. Oh, man, that didn't even occur to me. I just assumed that she was like, you know, looking Using at a person sense. who was upset. Yeah. That, that may be true. And if that's the case, I retract my bad thing. But... I'm pretty sure we're meant to think that Troy could sense that. I, later later on, when Data gets an emotion chip in a future episode, she can sense that. Okay, that's stupid. But that's not this episode's fault, and maybe maybe you're right. Maybe she's just using the power of looking at something, something it's to determine what It's like the emotion chip gives off rays that she can detect. I, just, I think that's a biological process that she's sensing, and I don't think robots would have it, even robots with emotions. Yes. Uh, androids, I know. Whatever. No, I, I honestly, my, my, uh, that didn't even occur to me. My assumption was just that she turned around and saw that, well, right. well I, I mean, she looks terrible. Yeah. I, um, I, I just, I, if, if Troy, like I said, if Troy could sense that, I don't like it. No. I love, Data creates her from his own pathways and whatever, and she ends up being an improvement in a lot of ways. She can use contractions, which is always a dumb thing. I mean, it's a dumb thing, but it's a nice sort of... It's an easy indicator. Yes, you it's know? established. It's already there. Let's use it. That's yeah. fine. <clears throat> I still think it's stupid. It is. <clears throat> he really just doesn't have find and replace like Microsoft Word version 1.0 ad. But, hey, fine. Whatever. <laughs> um, 
There were a lot of nice little laugh lines in here. Oh, yeah. There was there was the bit where uh, Picard's really upset with Data, and he's like, what are you doing? Why didn't you consult me? And he's, I've not observed anyone else consulting you about their procreation. <laughs> ah, touche, Data. Yeah. No, and the, the transformation of Picard... <laughs> Riker and Troy both look really awkward. <laughs> the the tr- uh, Picard's arc, his transformation through this episode, where at first he's outraged, and then he's trying to understand, and then he's passionately defending Data. Yep. It's a very natural arc, and it's so, again, Picard being the badass. Mm-hmm. He's putting his career on the line. At one point, he directly... Uh, th- th- that's my quote. Ah, sorry. Yeah, he's, he's putting his career on the line to uh, to make sure that Data's taken care of. And yeah. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's so good. Yeah. Um, he's, got a, he's got a line near near the beginning where he says, It's a child, Data. And it's, the, the, the implication is, I hate children. <laughs> I am not okay with this. Yeah. Oh, good. Is she going to be running around on my bridge, too? She has sticky hands. <laughs> Is that how this goes? Everyone on this ship has a child who I have to make an honorary crew member. Uh. Is that how this goes, Mr. Data? Well, no. Because it seems like that's how this goes. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bit on the holodeck where they're picking out uh, what what law's going to be. They pick a human... Like, they narrowed it down from five million choices. Mm-hmm. And Troy's got a hunch in the corner of the holodeck for seven hours while they decide. I, I love that. It's just, you know, Troy, you could have a chair. Yeah, you can make anything you want. They they had a whole episode where they're building a chair in the holodeck. It's we know they chair. can do that. Because they spend an hour doing it. Um, but they're going through the choices, and they narrow it down to human male, human female, uh, Klingon, or an Andorian. And the Andorian's green. And do they have green Andorians? I'm not. Apparently, they have at least one. I'm not going to nitpick and say, "Oh, no, well, excuse me." Well, actually, and Andorians are blue. Like, eh, maybe they're green too. Yep. No, you actually, know? I like the idea that it's like, it, well, you could be an Andorian. Hmm. I don't like the color. Well, that's fixable. <laughs> I don't like the color. Well, you're a racist. <laughs> nice. I also I love uh, Troy's com- <laughs> Troy's comment when she picks a. Uh, it's like, or she might be a cl- uh, might be a, male a friend Klingon. for Worf. A friend for Worf. She says it really strangely too. Yeah. <laughs> can you just put? Can I, you actually put that in here? Yeah, I suppose I could do that. Oh God. A Klingon male. A friend for Worf. I actually will say that while Troy had a couple of weird moments, for the most part, this was a decent Troy episode too. Mm-hmm. This is this. They're starting to figure out how to use her as a counselor. This is not the first time. Where she doesn't feel like an extra third wheel, where she's actually contributing something. Because people need counseling. This is a new situation. Yeah. And I like that. I actually, I would have liked if uh, if uh, Troy could have had a bigger sort of role in this, you know? like I think they I, I think they did what they could. I think the yeah. problem is that they, you know, like they had to focus on the, the most important thing, which was Data and Lal, and they did. Oh, that. yeah. But I mean, like, there's this bond between Lal and Troy that I that I actually really like that mm-hmm. uh, I would have liked to have seen expanded on more. Yeah, because she was basically her only other human friend. I mean, I guess Guinan as well. Well, and I also liked. Well, what would you like to look like? Like her? Yeah, exactly. That would I, be confusing. Uh, I choose your appearance, <laughs> not for me. <laughs> there, there's a lot of. I love the the inherent irony. This is right in what I like about about Star Trek and about science fiction and everything else. I love the irony of a robot teaching another robot to be human. Yep. I love that Data's trying to teach her how to be human when he has no fucking clue himself. Mm-hmm. That is just so completely in my area of, of interest. There's there's nice little lines like, uh, well, you need to care for her and love her and support her. He's like, well, I can support her, but I am incapable of giving her love. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, God. <laughs> that is so great and so awful. Yeah. I'm sad now. 
Yep. Oh. Um, Riker is mostly not in this episode. There's a great laugh line in the middle. I assume that was your quote, because that is, that is the big laugh in this episode. Yeah, I actually thought about it, but I didn't go for that one. Um, there's a scene where uh, uh, Riker's been away for a while, and there's a reason for that. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but uh, Riker comes into 10 Forward and sees this new bartender there, a uh, bartender who's just been talking to Guinan about what it means to kiss and so forth, and she just grabs Riker and kisses him. Yep. And then Data walks in and says, what are your intentions with my daughter? <laughs> Such a classic, like, wacky sitcom moment. But because yeah. it's so out of place in this show, it worked. I actually love Riker's, like, daughter. And then he fucking just gets the yeah, hell out like, of Yeah, he's like, I, I cannot handle this shit. I, I mean, got a parrot in the uh, replicator. <laughs> the reason Riker was not in this episode so much is because this is the first episode that Jonathan Frakes directed. Mm-hmm. Which he goes on to be one of the best directors in the series to the point where they give him two movies. Yep. And he's good. It shows It shows here. There's a lot of heavy emotional stuff here. And, you know, I don't feel like the camera's in the wrong place. I don't feel like the editing's fucked up. Like, you know, Not once works. does that camera go up anyone's nose. Well, there's a weird bird's eye shot at one point, And I thought, wow, they don't usually do these. And that made me notice the directing. Yep. And then, like, it actually worked in the scene. So that was okay. But, no, it's, it's good. It's nice to see Frakes went on to, like I say, do really well. And it's nice to see that it started with a with a classic episode and yeah, not with he, something he awful. He doesn't just direct Trek too. I think he's like he's he's an act just an actual director now. He could be. This was the first time he directed anything because I was reading his his account of he basically begged them and went to classes and like mm-hmm. sat in on the editing and just I'm kept really good. Them. Yeah, all right here. I'll be the best director you ever saw. And he's like, I'm glad they gave me a data episode because those always work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a lot less pressure because everyone loves data. That's true. Everyone does love Data. Yeah. Oh, and then they gave us a smaller girl Data to also love. Yep. She but died. only briefly. Um, there's an interesting thing in Memory Alpha, uh, it, and I'm going to just read it directly here. In one of the scenes with Guinan tutoring Lal about human sexuality, uh, Whoopi Goldberg altered one of her script lines in order to turn a strictly heterosexual explanation into a gender-neutral explanation. According to the script, Guinan was supposed to start telling Law when a man and woman are in love, and in the background there will be men and women sitting at tables holding hands, but Whoopi refused to say that. She said, this show is beyond that. It should be when two people are in love. It was also decided uh, on set that the background scene is showing a same-sex couple holding hands, but someone ran to a phone and made a call to a production office, and that was nixed. That's so cool. It sucks that they, they shot down seeing, like, oh, yeah, that, two men holding hands or whatever. Are, but, uh... but that Whoopi would say, no, you know, and in the early 90s before, like, now... A lot of people do that, and it's good. But back then, not a ton of people were speaking up for that sort of thing on TV. And it's something Amanda brings up a lot, which is there are no gay people in Star Trek. And yeah. I hate to say that she's right, but she's kind of right. And it's because of shit like that. But but people were looking out for it, at least. They were trying. Yeah. And that's good. And the line stayed like that. She didn't say man and woman. She said two people. Small detail, but, you know, good. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Uh, mm. I think... There was an ex- there was an opportunity for a for a wacky joke that they didn't make, and I'm glad they didn't. But I almost wish that they did. At the beginning, where where uh, Data's talking to Picard about I've read all the literature on child rearing, there was a there was a missed opportunity there to say that he had read Doctor Spock. Yeah, I'm really glad that I'm sure that was tossed around in the writing in the I, writers' room. It could have been funny, I think. But I don't know. Uh... just because I grew up with people calling Mr. Spock Doctor Spock, and I mm-hmm. think that's including funny. the Beastie Boys. Yes, exactly. They never, they never got that right. <laughs> At one point, Data comes to Crusher and asks for advice on parenting because her main characteristic is that she's a mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. Yep. A lot of parents on that ship, but she is a mother and nothing else. So yep. why don't I ask you? 
There's also there's also a scene where uh, where uh, Data is or uh, Wesley and Data are hanging out, just sort of working on LOL or whatever. And Data or uh, Wesley gets a call and is communicated from his mom. And <laughs> Doctor Crusher, Ensign Crusher, go get a haircut. Oh, uh, he rolls his eyes. Parents. <laughs> yeah, you're right, Wesley. Parents just don't understand. <laughs> but it's it's such a stupid fucking like moment. It is, and the thing is, Wesley has been pretty good this season. Yeah. I haven't had a lot to complain about, and that one line is not going to destroy him. Yeah, but, like, he's but, yeah. 17 now. Fucking knock it off. Yeah, that is true. He can get his own damn haircut. You got the best barber in Starfleet on that <laughs> ship. Well, we haven't met him yet. He might not be there yet. Uh, Mr. Mott might still be a, a Starbase away. Who knows? Oh, well, then Wesley can get a wig. <laughs> from the wig replicator. <laughs> this is indeed a disturbing universe. <laughs> Or the Wigosphere. <laughs> now you're gonna buy a wig, Wesley, or ain't you? <laughs> now I'm picturing the Dyson Sphere from the Scotty episode. <laughs> just but it's crammed, full, just of, crammed with wigs. Yes, and and that's a you know that's a sphere built around the orbit of a planet around the sun. So that's a lot of wigs. <laughs> I think crammed with wigs might be my favorite line that's ever appeared on this show. <laughs> favorite line so far, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Uh, let's see. Oh, we finally get a shot at... I, I don't know if we've ever seen Data's quarters or not before, but uh, I kept... When we finally go in there, he's got this chair, and I saw that I think to myself, does he have a bed, too? Well, they probably come with beds. I mean, it's. I mean, I'm sure it's got a bed, but, like, do you think he uses it? Well, no. He said he doesn't have to sleep. He's mentioned that specifically before. I mean, later in the series, he starts, like, practicing with dreaming and stuff. Which, and going offline, but like, you know, well, I guess, <laughs> I, I just feel like I could get that taken out and put a plant here or something. <laughs> or more lab. Yes. Because he's got a big old lab in his quarters as it is. Or a giant, uh, or a giant cat fortress. Right. For when Spot shows up. <laughs> spot one or spot two? Uh, spot three, the spotting. Yeah, very well. Star Trek three, the search for Spot. <laughs> There was just a lot of, like, character moments. Like, just, like I say, no danger, no, no, like, apart from Lal dying at the end, there was no threat to the rest of the crew, but it was still a very personal story, and we really cared what happened. Well, and the dude that plays the Admiral was just such an asshole. He was, and that's why it was so great, like I say, that that line, that, that, that monologue he has mm -hmm. really made me tear up, because he is such an asshole the whole time, and he is completely won over by the fact that Data's trying to save her life. Yeah. And that there's more to these guys than just being objects. Yeah, and th th there's this line in there that I really didn't like. Like, most of the episodes spot on, but uh, when Picard is talking about how he's going to uh, take the uh, take the argument to Starfleet, the Admiral goes, I am Starfleet! Well, that's no, true, though. He, is, he, he outranks Picard, and he is, in this case, representing Starfleet. Yeah. That's a thing. I just, my... My my feelings on this episode, if they had actually gotten to do the, uh, like, if they had basically done Measure of a Man again... I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad they you, explored no, I, a I different agree. aspect of that. But if she had survived and they had actually taken this to, like, you know, yeah. Starfleet High Court or whatever, uh, they would probably would have won again. Yeah, probably. And that's why I'm glad they did a different thing. Mm -hmm. um, actually, getting Maddox into this episode would have been pretty cool. Yeah, Although I think winning someone else over is better because Maddox was sort of won over in that episode. I like I don't think bringing him in as the bad guy or whatever would it would be the way to go, but having him feature in the episode would have been neat. Yeah, maybe they might have called him or something. Yeah. They do refer to him in later episodes. I yes, know. they do. In the episode Data's Day, where Data's 
logging a, a typical day, he actually <laughs> sends the whole thing. Like, it's all narrated as a letter to Maddox. Dear Bruce. Yeah, exactly. How are you? I am fine. <laughs> I, I am, am functioning well. within normal parameters. <laughs> I think that's basically it. I think we've covered the, the main thing. Like I said, there's so many tiny little character moments, and I'm sure we've missed stuff, but I, it's just, it's so good. These two episodes, like I say, together, so fucking good. And this is all what Star Trek does best, in, in, you know, uh, just in, in two shots here. Mm -hmm. If you want to, like, well, you probably couldn't watch Yesterday's Enterprise without having seen Star Trek before. But I was going to say, if you want to show someone why this show can be great, yeah, show them these two episodes. You could probably show them uh, the Offspring without having seen Star Trek before, and they could figure out what's going oh, on. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's so, just, it's such good drama, and, and it's a bottle episode. They don't mm -hmm. leave the ship, and there's, like, two guest stars, and that's it. Like, it's very small. You don't have to have a big budget. Like, you don't have to have stuff blowing up. You just have a, a character piece. Mm -hmm. I love it. All right. So, what is your quote? Uh, as as much as I was tempted to go with he, with he's biting that female. <laughs> uh, there's a scene the the scene where Picard defends uh, Lal to the Admiral is just so awesome. Captain, you are jeopardizing your command and your career. There are times, sir, when men of good conscience cannot blindly follow orders. You acknowledge their sentience, but you ignore their personal liberties and freedom. Order a man to hand his child over to the state. Not while I'm his captain. Well, we are always suckers for Picard's indignant speeches. Yeah. it's the, it, Basically, it's that or the, or the funny line, and this time, I just couldn't get past how yeah. awesome that speech is. Yeah, that's the thing. Is in Yesterday's Enterprise, I almost wanted to go against convention and, and actually use a funny line. Because I don't think there are any in that one. Well, nope. the, the bit at the beginning with prune juice. Yes. But uh, I, I had to go with the badass one just because so much badass. Yeah, no, I was actually, when I was doing my notes up, like, I, when it gets to that part, I actually wrote, if this was my episode, this would be my quote. Yep. Well, it was mine. Yep. Oh, boy. All right. Well, that is all for this week. Really good episodes. Next week, we have, as I recall, one good one and one bad one, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Mm. But our pal Vichelle will be here with us, and it's been a while since we've heard from him, so that would yes. be a lot of fun, all the way from the other side of the planet. Mm -hmm. So look forward to that. Look and forward to it. Yes. Let's hope history never forgets the name, post-atomic horror. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Say your thing, Matt. And until next time, the balcony is ours. Don't, no, that's not your thing. That's somebody else's thing. I know. It's your thing. Oh, fine. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.